welcome to episode 26 of the Sweet Spot on a Farm podcast. And today we are on a farm. Today I'm in uh, near Portaferry um, talking to Heiko of the Portaferry Permaculture Project. Am I saying it right? Hi, Heiko, how are you? Permaferry for, for short. Per- Permaferry. So before we um, uh, dive into all my um, questions about the Permaculture Project, we're standing in Heiko's really wild garden, guys. You should see this. This is absolutely mental. Heiko's just explaining to me what everything is because I'm completely I, I recognize a few bits and pieces. I can see the kale. I can see some radish leaves, I think. What's what's this? That's the marigold. Marigold, yeah. Okay, yep, and you yep. said I marigold is something I normally use for tea in, in dried form and my gran actually used to forage for marigold and then we would sun dry it in the garden and we would keep it for tea for the winter. But you said you eat it? I eat it, I eat the leaves and the flowers and salads and things, yep. Okay, wow. Yep. Never heard of that before that's a good one to remember so what's in that pot in there mostly weeds um there, there's actually a little seedling of, uh, of some hawthorn coming out there which i'm thinking of transplanting somewhere but basically nothing okay. um that's just, just there was something in there but um it didn't survive this, this is just nettles in there there was something else again in there but there's nettles take over everywhere of course nettles are edible when's actually the best time to, to spring nettles? spring uh mind you i mean whenever you can get young leaves yeah you you always want to just use the young leaves. Old leaves can uh, give you um, um, sort of kidney irritations. Okay. So uh, whenever you get young leaves, you can pick some, pick them, sort of thing. So high to summer is not the best time. So once it's in flower, you don't really want to pick the, the leaves off that. Okay. So springtime, March, April type of. Thing? Yeah, but I mean, even now, I mean, you can see some there. You could eat those, uh, and often you get a second flush in autumn, sort of thing. You know. So um, whenever there, there's young leaves about, you can eat them. Okay. So. Um, I can see them daffodils. There, yes, daffodils. Yep, yep, indeed. There's daffodils um, that sort of grow in various places, uh, just for pretty prettiness and for. I mean, part of what we're trying to do, apart from eat, growing food, is also uh, creating a habitat. Yeah. Um, if you look on our Facebook page, there's like an aerial photo of this place. Yeah. Um, and you can sort of see it's kind of like an, an oasis in the desert. Everywhere around <laughs> is, is desert. Uh, Behind, behind me there. Well, you have a little lake in the middle of the desert there. There's a little pond and little your pond. dog is just, drink, just <laughs> drinking from it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you have any fish in there? or? Is there's, it just... cou- there's a couple of fish in there, yes. And frogs uh, lay their, they, um, um, spawn in there. Oh, amazing. So, yeah. Again, this is to, to increase biodiversity, you know, because, I mean, everywhere, everywhere around us is monocultures. Um, and um, it's it's like a desert, literally. I mean, if you if you have a, an aerial um, view of this in, in the autumn, everything around us is brown and we are green. It's like yeah. a little triangle of uh, just shy of an acre that is just green. You know, I, I plant trees uh, left, right, and center as much as I can fit in, and um, and I don't I don't do bare soil. I don't dig i don't uh, but i suppose you wouldn't want too many trees around because you want the sunshine to hit well yes and no i mean sort of there, there's there, there's enough sunshine that gets in i mean sort of these trees you can see over there yeah. they lay lande i hate those and i'm going to take them down bit by bit um, and turn them into firewood and replace them with something more useful basically i mean they, they give us a bit of a windbreak uh, we're in a little bit of a dip here as well um, this the the house used to be known as Glen Whirry, which is Irish for um, Valley of the Cauldron. So it's okay. like we're in a little cauldron because we're about only about a mile from the Irish Sea here, 
Um, so it actually is, is quite nice. It protects us from, from the wind as well, being a little bit lower down here. Uh, but also being very close to the sea, we've got uh, th this very spot here is possibly the driest in all of Ireland um, and uh, the warmest spot in the, in the northern half of, of the island. So uh, we, have a, we have a really, really uh, favourable spot here where we can grow, where all sorts of stuff grows. And so, yeah. Let's continue. Or I want to I I see if I can recognise anything, but I'm completely useless. See that patch where all the daffodils... Yeah. What is it? It is an edible weed, although not a very tasty one, but it is edible. It's uh, a climber, cleavers. It's the stuff that sticks to you. All oh, right, okay. You know, it has little hairy yeah, stems yeah, yeah. sort of thing, you know. I didn't know you can eat that. Uh, yeah, you want to cook it, though, because the little, the little yeah. um, things that make it stick to you, and they, 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 they irritate your throat. So, if, yeah. But if you cook, they kind of melt. Um, so you can eat it as, as, a, as an emergency green sort of thing, okay. you know. Um, I don't hugely recommend it. Although the, the, it is, it's, oddly enough, it's the only member in the temperate climate of the coffee family. So you can okay. use the seeds, roast them and have a, um, a coffee substitute that actually has a, a bit of caffeine in it as well. Oh, wow. I've never tried that myself, although I have spoken to somebody who did do that once and they said it's an extremely fiddly job before you get, get your uh, cup of coffee. So if you're absolutely desperate and the yeah. shit hits the fan and um, no more coffee to be had, this is where you can find your ca caffeine fix. I wanted always to try get um, my own dandelion root coffee. Yes. But then I kind of realized what it would all entail. And just, you know what, I'm going to spend a couple of quid and buy it because I really can't be bothered <laughs> harvesting it. But, but I think if I was desperate <laughs> well exactly well this is it i mean um uh, we lived in italy for 10 years and uh, we lived in on uh, in an area that was particularly badly hit by the war um uh, and um people then started foraging for survival um, and all the old people there still knew how to forage and this is where i learned a lot about my foraging as well and um, they came up with all sorts. Of, I mean, they made coffee from 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 um, um, acorns. Oh wow! So, um, which uh, you know doesn't have the caffeine, but it has sort of like the bitterness and. and, and well, neither does the dandelion, but it actually yeah. tastes like coffee. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. So it's, it's similar with the with with um, uh, acorns. You can make coffee out of that. That's interesting. <laughs> okay, so what's there in that pot? So we established that this is mint. Yeah. I actually saw very similar kind of mint in Morocco. That was really funny because I we were um, we were washing by a stream and I and and I was running towards the camp shouting, "I found some oregano! <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is oregano." No, this what that was just a type of mint that actually the leaves looked like oregano. Mm -hmm. They were wee teeny tiny bit yeah, bigger, uh -huh. but I was convinced it it even smelled a bit like oregano ish. Mm -hmm. No, it was mint. Yes. Um. That was totally embarrassing, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway. So what's that by the abandoned canoe here? This was my mad idea of uh, building my own beach. Okay. Basically, I, I've and I need to sort of kind of redo this a bit again. But I've put a huge amount of uh, seaweed on on here. Oh, okay. And sea sand to grow plants that like to normally grow but the seaside the, the seaside around here is the best for foraging um save me to go the, go the mile to the sea i thought i'd put things here that like salt um so i have that stuff there which is uh sea beet okay which actually grows as a weed all over my garden um and it's a really really tasty weed it's perennial 
it's the um, the uh, uh, wild form of beetroot or um, also um, uh, Swiss chard. Okay. Um, so you can eat those leaves all year round. Um, at the moment, it's a little bit. It doesn't look too great, so it'll be a little bit better a bit later in the year. But you can eat, even now pick leaves of that. Um, this there is sea radish. So again, you can you could eat the root. You can eat the the, the seed pods, the uh, the flowers um, that inside the canoe there. Sea purslane. It's very rich in in omega three acids. Uh, taste. It doesn't smell of anything. Taste. It's a, it's a plant that likes um, uh, sort of um, boggy, salty conditions. Um, so I, I put seaweed in there, and because it's inside the, the, the canoe, the salt can't escape, so it, it keeps a salty um, uh, environment. And it's, uh, you can throw that into salads, add it to mayonnaise. It's really nice, but I can't... I can't really describe what it is. It's kind of... There's a bit of saltiness, a bit of sweetness. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. It is. <laughs> and really healthy. It actually tastes a bit like um, like really tasty lettuce. Mm, yeah. But it's tiny. Like, actually, it looks like small sage leaves. A little bit, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little fleshier. Yeah. Smoky mm. color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's really nice. Oh my god, that's really nice. <laughs> it grows all around the, in the shore here. I was trying to grow sea kale here. Uh, but my ch chickens ate it. Um. <laughs> They're gonna be very healthy chickens. <laughs> I'm gonna have another go at that. What have we got here? What are all Th these bear bushes? This is my uh, snack alley. Snack alley? Yep, yep. I've got all sorts of berries here. You're okay. just walking past the Joster berries there. These are Japanese wine berries. Japanese wine berries? Yep. Okay, that sounds posh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like small raspberries, uh, okay. but tastier. Uh, these are all raspberries, an absolute jungle of raspberries. Behind there is hazel. So you just walk along there when the seasons and you just pop things in your mouth. Oh, nice. And um, snack alley. This is uh, goji. What? <laughs> are you serious? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that you can grow it here. Well, uh, I'll be honest with you. Very few people have managed to fruit them and I have not seen any fruit on there okay. yet. Uh, however, the leaves are edible too. Oh, wow. So you can eat the leaves, um, and um, maybe one day I'll get some fruit. It seems to always flower really, really late, and so it, it just can't get, get. It's too late to get to, to fruiting stage. There's uh, a um, tayberry and a gooseberry behind there. Oh, gooseberries! This is a Juneberry. So we got berries all along here, and here we go more into because um, with uh, permaculture we're talking about zoning. We're getting away away from the house a little bit here. Okay. Um, so we have the uh, more of the perennial things that don't look, need looking after, like this perennial cabbage tree, which is just a really weird thing. I got the seeds from a friend in Australia. Uh, I have not been able to identify what exactly this is because I've looked on the internet. I've not found anything that looks remotely like this. They, they grow up to over two meters um, and just produce leaves all all the time. You sort of uh, pick up, pick the leaves, stir fry them, do anything with them uh, that you normally do with cabbage. That's wild. There's okay. some more perennial onions in here. There's some rhubarb just starting to come out there. Some artichokes. Oh. Uh, Jerusalem artichokes. There we go. Jerusalem artichokes. Um. So these are sunflower family, aren't they? Yes, they are. I had them for the first time about two or three years ago. Um, I, I believe they're called sunchokes as well. Yes, yes. And mm -hmm. um, 
They have a really unflattering nickname. They're called Fart Choke. Yes, indeed. Uh, and they really do weird things in your tummy. They, <laughs> if indeed, you eat too many of them. Indeed they do. Um, indeed they do. Um, but they're uh, really tasty. Did, did, do you know where the name Jerusalem Artichoke came from? No. Um, it's uh, basically they're, they're native to the Americas. And uh, they were first brought over by the Europeans before the potato, um, okay. as a popular vegetable, uh, before the potato arrived. But uh, when the when the Italians arrived in America and they saw them, because they grow as tall as sunflowers, they look like sunflowers when they flower. Uh, here we don't get them to flower, but in, in warmer climates they flower and they look like sunflowers. Uh, so the Italians came over and they looked at it and said, Ah, girasole, which is um, Italian for sunflower. Gira, ah. turn, sole, sun. <laughs> and then the French came over and then they tasted it. So, tastes like artichoke. <laughs> so they became Jerusalem artichoke. <laughs> Nothing to do with Jerusalem. This is just Nothing sort of a, a, an American really. bastardization of girasole. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. I was always wondering because it doesn't even look like artichoke. It doesn't taste like artichoke. It actually, it actually very much resembles turmeric root. Turmeric, something yeah. between turmeric and ginger. Hmm. Yeah, so um, it has has a bit of artichokey flavor to them, but I mean, like it's it's the it's the Jer- Jerusalem, which is actually from, from Italian Jerusalem. But they are they are really um, they are really nice vegetable actually. Hmm. Shame both effects. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what have we got here? That's my vineyard. Vineyard. Yep. I'm the mad person who uh, intends to be the first um, uh, producer of Northern Irish outdoor grown. Wine, <laughs> grape okay. wine. Um, so I did a bit of research and find. Um, uh, I believe there are people already trying this, though. Not outdoors. Nothing. Not that I know of in Northern oh, Ireland. No, in the south, yes. Yeah, in, no, you're right. Uh, that will be probably greenhouse produced. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so yeah, in in the south there's a few vineyards. In the north, to my knowledge, there's nobody. I might, I might be wrong, but I mean, like, I haven't come you across are anybody. Crazy um, but I. <laughs> We're in Northern Ireland. We're not in Italy anymore. <laughs> this this is, as I said earlier, is uh, where the um, possibly the warmest spot on the northern half of the island. Um, so we have a very good microclimate, um, and uh, and these are grape varieties that are a um, uh, fungus resistant, okay. um, and, and particularly bred for for cool climates. So. Um, <laughs> If you say so, well, I'm very much looking forward to that wine. Mm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we have we've produced a couple of bottles last year. But, oh um, really? Yes, yes. How did it taste? Um, uh, last year uh, wasn't so uh, successful. The year before, actually, I got a got a, a bottle of really nice white. So um, it's I'm still working on it. Still, still in um, the development phase. <laughs> keep working. Keep working. <laughs> oh, so this is this is the. Yes, also part of it. Yes. What's that? That's uh, plantain. Very medicinal. Okay. Some people eat it. I'm not very keen on eating it myself. Uh, there's, uh, there's. I remember my grand had that in the garden, and I think we used to eat that as kids. Possibly. It's it's stringy. It's a bit bitter. It's it's. Um, I mean, there's a there's a variety of plantain called uh, buckshorn um, plantain, which grows near the near the coast, um, which is tastier. Um, what is that thing there with the purple flower? Mallow. What is that? Uh, mallow. It's a, it's a very common wild flower um, that um, uh, you can eat the flowers, you can eat the seeds, you can eat the leaves and in soups. The leaves are really nice for thickening the soup. 
um, they, uh, medicinal um, for sort of throat and whatever chest things. So um, it's looking a little bit sad at the moment, but get going again in the spring. So yeah, they're really pretty. They're they are yes, yes. The, the, the frost has got them. The recent frost has got them a bit. And this is where the chickens live. This is where the chickens live. Um, there's also a bit of a, um, a forest garden in the making there. Forest yeah. garden. Pear, apple, uh, mirabel, plum. There's a fig tree over there. Uh, a mulberry. So it's all still very young here. Yes. I'm 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 amazed. Actually, my my partner's mom is growing figs. They they live in Greystones down the south, mm -hmm. and I'm always amazed at, at how these things, this kind of fruit, can actually. I mean, we're in Ireland for Christ's sake. I know. <laughs> these fruits need a lot of warmth and sunshine. Yeah. How does it even grow in here? It does. It does. And I mean, like, as I say, we uh, we get also very very little frost here. Um, I mean, uh, some winters we don't get any frost at all here. Um, when everybody else was complaining about snow, I didn't have any. There was no <laughs> snow here this winter. We have not had snow I yet. That's We've had about four or five nights of frost. That's it so far. And I mean, I, I, I know um, elsewhere there's been more. <laughs> this is incredible. I can't believe you can grow figs in here. This is nuts. <laughs> okay, so there is hazel there. That's a cherry tree there. Cherry tree, wow. Has it had any fruit yet? But three or four. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it needs to grow a bit. Yeah, still a young tree. This is wild. That's such a variety. That's what I'm trying to do, as much um, biodiversity and, and variety as possible. More stuff here. These are potato tires. Potato tires? Mm-hmm. Towers, even. Um, a space-saving way of putting, growing potatoes. You put, you put some uh, mulch on the bottom, you throw potatoes on top, you put some uh, mulch on top, um, and as the potatoes grow, you keep throwing mulch on there, and um, in the end, you have the these towers full of potatoes. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> God, I have so much to learn. What is that bush there? Uh, no idea. It's just a bush with little red berries on it. The birds like it. Okay, so they might not be human edible. No. I suppose. Okay. This is a a plum. It lo might look like a very small plum tree. But it gives me about 12 kilos of plums every year. Are uh, you serious? And it's kind of self-pruning. It's so heavy with plums that branches break off. It this is why it stays so small. It looks like a really sad kind of tree, but yep. oh my god. Every year bits break off because it's just so heavy with plums. It's oh, unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. Okay. Oh, I see a greenhouse. Uh, yep, a polytunnel, yep. This is, um, these are wild strawberries down there. Wild. How do you? How did you get wild strawberries? Do you know wild strawberry is something I haven't had since childhood, and I actually haven't seen them much around. I mean, we walked around woods for a bit when I was back at home mm -hmm. visiting the Czech Republic. I can't see wild strawberries anywhere anymore. They used to be everywhere when mm -hmm. I was a child. Right. Yeah. We you, you get them in a few places, and I know it's sort of here in Portofair and Nugent's Wood. You see the odd ones. Um, these these came from seeds basically. Um, I, I just bought seeds as wild strawberries. Okay. So. Because um, they are the nicest strawberries. I mean, they're they super are. tiny, but oh my god, the flavor. Well, the, the the thing the thing actually with with much of um, cultivated vegetables yeah. is 
Um, they all came from a wild one at one stage, and they were cultivated to be bigger, prettier, more uniform, all that sort of thing. But um, they, they, they weren't, weren't looking at, um, at increasing um, nutrient. Uh, nutrient. Yeah. So basically, this tiny little wild strawberry, it's got the same nu nutrient uh, that you buy off a cultivated strawberry, um, except that it's... Um, flavor-wise as well, as you say, um, it's, the cultivated one is about 10 times the size. Yeah. Uh, so what, what, what you, what, oh, the only thing you've actually gained is water. Whatever you can get wild, um, it's, it's much more rich in, in, in nutrient. And flavor. And flavor. There's, so. there's a few bits and pieces in here. There's blueberries in there. There's some wood rough in there. There's a few other bits and pieces that are not sure. There's blueberries here as well. They're not wild blueberries. No, they're cultivated they're blueberries. Okay. The thing is that my soil here is not ideal for blueberries. So this bed here underneath here, um, we've actually, because we have very sandy, well-drained soil, and they like acid, boggy soil. Mm. So we, we buried some plastic about a, a foot deep um, to... to um, keep it waterlogged and then with the Leilande buffet you get a bit of acid um, so I keep throwing stuff on top on top of that <laughs> to to um, create an acid um, environment to for, for, for uh, woodland plants to thrive in okay so what else <clears throat> is in here leeks that have sown themselves out as well um, most of my plants are either uh, perennial or um, sow themselves out, and the, when leeks sows itself out, um, my all my kales sow themselves out. There's some garlic there. It's actually oh, is that garlic? I thought it was garlic. Yeah, that's garlic. garlic or scallions. Yeah, no, it's garlic. Um, yeah, there's the um, there's the polytunnel here, which hasn't got much happen in the moment. It gets neglected during the winter. Looks like there's plenty happening. Well, it's a, there's a bit of um, parsley there and a couple of vines um, and a bit of um, kale. Again, this, uh, the, the way I, I, I sow in here mostly, apart from the tomatoes, the tomatoes is the only thing I sort of kind of pamper a little bit. Uh, everything else has to kind of survive by itself. And I, I make seed balls, mixed seed balls of any seeds I have and I scatter them around nilly-willy, um, including in here. And um, and then they come or they don't come, and then they just find their own space. And uh, so at the moment you see, it's unusual to see, but if um, um, bare soil at the moment. So, but um, normally normally you don't see bare soil in my in my, in my place. What are these? Oh, that's um, it's that's actually weed. It's um, so I'm looking at some really dark green leafy purple flower. Yeah, yes. what is this? It's uh, lesser periwinkle. It's um, it's toxic, really. It has it has oh. medicinal uh, uses, but in in homeopathic kind okay. of uh, doses. So I suppose you do not eat that. Often? I don't eat. I don't use it. No, no. Um, it's it's quite a pretty flower, you know. But it spreads like wildfire, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Other medicinal plants that sow themselves out in my place. What is this? That looks a wee bit like heart leaf. It's a uh, fever few. Okay. It's, um, in German, the, the, uh, the, the German word for it is, is, is mother weed. Good for two things. One is preventative for migraines. If you get serious mi migraines, so you, you sort of chew a leaf or two every day, it, it is preventative. 
The other is for ladies' problems. I can't okay. vouch for that myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, basically, if you have particularly bad periods, um, and you know roughly when it's coming, sort of a couple of days before, you start chewing a few leaves, it um, helps relieve pain and, and, and reduces bleeding. Oh, wow. So, um, and it uh, self-seeds itself all over my garden as well. It grows everywhere. It's quite pretty as well. It's, I mean, it's in flower. It has like a da- uh, daisy-like flowers. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I see dand- loads of dandelion. Oh, right. dandelion everywhere. You think you're standing on some kale there. And <laughs> That's all right. It's like, it grows everywhere. Look, it just pops up everywhere. It's a wee uh, apricot tree that I grew. That oh, wow. I, uh, planted. These are all currants over there. There's some raspberries there. A big old bram- bramley apple tree. Is this some sort of purple? That's red cabbage. Is it red cabbage? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems to be going perennial, I mean, this is the third year now. Okay, what have you got here? It's more of that uh, sea beet. Okay. Really, really useful. It grows everywhere along the coast here. It's, it's one of the most useful plants. That's the apple tree. These are apple trees. That's a pear, and these are two apple trees as well. Primroses, wild primroses wild. growing everywhere. Got them around my front garden as well. They're edible. The only thing that... Uh, it's prolific around my garden that isn't edible is is, um, is buttercup. Daffodils are not ed- edible either, but uh, uh, most things that grow around here are kind of edible. You could have a lunch just walking through your garden when everything's actually in season. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a bit of front garden as well, which is, I'll show you. So this is the front garden. There's uh, an edible hedge. Edible uh, hedge. Now you explain that to me. <laughs> well, it's it's got um, sea buckthorn in it, which has got um, little orange berries, which yeah. are very rich in vitamin C. Um, it's also um, nitrogen fixing, so it's good for the soil. In between there, that's stuff that's coming into flower there now. Yeah. It's wild plums. I remember wild plums being really, really bitter. Well, these are sort of cherry plums. Um, they, they, they're, they're sweet enough, but they, they, they don't keep very well, so you've got to use them really, really, really quickly. In the middle is an Iliagnus uh, ebingae, which has edible berries, but it doesn't. Know, I'm not sure if it'll ever ripen. So, um, but they, they're, they're also very rich in vitamin C. Um, over there, that little shrub there is uh, what's known as an Oregon grape, um, Mahonia aquifolium, uh, which is blueberries. You actually see the blueberries in quite a lot in parks and things like that, so it's like um, sort of prickly little leaves. Um, and the, the leaves are edible, they sort of get like a sour taste to them, but they're, they're edible. That stuff there, wild garlic. Oh, no way. I love that stuff. That's the best thing ever. <laughs> It's, it's actually. Oh my god! It's, the it's, leaves smell it's, so strong. It's actually not the wild garlic found in the woods, but it's it's uh, three cornered leek is the, its its official name. Oh, okay. Uh, Allium triquetrum. Yeah, the thing leaves about, are slightly different. They're much narrower. Yeah, like, exactly. Are, are, and it's if, the, if you if it goes to flower, you see the, the flower stem is, is triangular, hence triangular. When is the best time actually to pick wild garlic? This one here. This is what I was just about to say. Okay. It's got a season from about late September to May. Okay. It's fantastic all winter you get fresh leaves there and I've got it uh, basically I've got a couple of spots mm. here where I get, uh, pick it wild and I pick it with the bulbs and I usually pick a little bit more than I need for whatever I'm cooking and whatever I've uh, that, and then whatever I've left over I just stick in somewhere and it just grows and spreads that would and... make beautiful pesto yeah absolutely see I'm, I'm currently I'm off garlic because I'm low food my diet and I can't have garlic and mm. I absolutely 
hated because I love garlic. Mm. That's my rescue because I can make wild garlic pesto from the leaves. And yeah. That's kind of my fix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and this this literally has a six month season. Over six month season, and really uh, the whole winter when you don't find anything else much, sort of thing, you know, which is fantastic, you know. Mm. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay, what's next? See that? This looks really pretty. Looks like um, like shamrock. Like shamrock, yeah, like a really large shamrock. What is it? It's um, uh, wood sorrel. Okay. Have a taste of that. So that's, I suppose, that's really uh, sour, isn't it? It is. Oh my god. <laughs> it has a really kind of lemony taste. Yeah, exactly. I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's great in the salad, you know, mixed mm. into a salad. I mean, sort of, you don't normally eat it just like that, but I mean, you mix it in a salad and gives gives the salad, salad a bit of a... That reminds me of something we used to pick in my grand's garden as children. That has very, very similar taste. Proper sorrel, probably. Probably, yeah. It's sort of like arrow-shaped leaves. Mm, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. The proper sorrel. It, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It, uh, they're not related, but um, they, they, this is known as wood sorrel because um, it's got the same. It's got oxalic acid, basically. Oh, that's gorgeous. Uh, which you need to be a little bit careful of, of not having too much of it, sort of thing, you know. I can totally see that wild garlic <laughs> with few leaves of that wood sorrel. <laughs> it would make a beautiful pesto. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, mm. fantastic. Primroses there, not, not in flower yet, but the leaves are coming through. Okay, dokie. Uh, it's a bay tree. Oh, so this is what bay tree looks like. Yep. Yeah. Use the leaves anytime you like and, and, and uh, whatever, you know, in cooking. Mm, love the smell of it. Mm. There's, um, there's a, a rose bush here as well. Rose? Oh, wow. Yeah, what so you get, you get rose hips off it and things like that so oh, um, nice. this is one do you use the rose hips for okay, yeah yeah well yeah for tea or for for, for preserves or something yeah my mom used to um pick rose hips mm. all the time for tea see all the things we did as children we don't do that anymore i know i know <laughs> <laughs> a compost toilet uh privacy function at the moment isn't uh, uh, very good uh, with the recent winds I'm actually about to ask you where I can go to the bathroom. <laughs> I could go there I could um, revert my eyes and uh, have a nice view anyway but yeah um, so the, it's basically like a uh, like a bucket function which uh, which then okay. gets um, emptied into the compost oh wow um, okay so uh, but yes so we sort of do like to use our uh, re recycle our own um, well, it just makes sense. Doesn't it does it? make total sense. I mean, like, so you use clean water to to put a to to flush away a, a product that um, uh, that is useful. You know, I mean, like, uh, um, so um, I mean, this would especially uh, apply to 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 vegans um, if they if they got because there's obviously there's a lot of talk about veganism and um, and also within the permaculture movement, there's a lot of vegans there and. Um, most permaculturists would say that you need animals in your system, um, but if you if you don't want to do that, um, the least you can do is um, reuse your own compost, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because um, you, you need it. You need to put to put some uh, something back into the system. It's 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 all circular. This is again going back to my childhood. This is what my gran um, used to let us do when we were. She had a quite a few grandkids and we were my, my cousins and I were spending a lot of time with my with my grandparents um, over the summer and at weekends and when the bathroom was occupied and we needed to go to the bathroom she would just throw us out just, just go out and, and that's 
wall that tree needs watering or whatever or, or the well, raspberry bushes <laughs> needs watering just go and uh, have a wee outside uh, we do have an indoor toilet <laughs> but i mean i i personally very rarely use it unless it's absolutely filthy weather outside um i i, I go out here i mean I, I, I pee in the bushes and i do my main business in in, in there there you go guys <laughs> if you have a garden don't bother using the toilet anymore <laughs> there's better ways out to use your compost well anyway um uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about permaculture um indoors shall we because yeah. we're kind of talking about permaculture and a lot of people probably don't even know what we're mm -hmm. talking about mm -hmm. <laughs> okay so let's talk some permaculture so for those who have no idea what we're talking about what is permaculture where did it come from it's uh, not an easy one i knew you'd ask me that question i'm cut I'm prepared. Oh, you're prepared. Uh, <laughs> um, oh basically, there's a full book on permaculture here. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no. Well, it's it's um, uh, it's basically not easy to explain in 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 a couple of sentences uh, because it's a very complex discipline. It started in the in the seventies, nineteen seventies. Was started by two Australians, uh, Bill Mollison and uh, David Holmgren. They, they coined the term, term permaculture, um, bringing together traditional knowledge with modern science, I suppose. Um, there's about as many definitions of permaculture as there are um, uh, people practicing it. Um, i give you a couple. Oh my God, <laughs> the a one, couple. There's like 20 different shades. <laughs> they're about nine, actually. Uh, Bill, Bill Mollison himself, uh, one of the founders of 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 permaculture his definition is permaculture is a design system for creating sustainable human habitats the aims to create systems that are ecologically sound and economically viable <clears throat> which provide for their own needs do not exploit or pollute and are therefore sustainable in the long term while rapidly being uh, able to regenerate degraded systems so essentially uh, you, you copy what nature gives you because Nature is always cyclical. Um, our modern eco economy is linear. Um, so everything that uh, within the system, there's a lot of systems thinking in, in, in permaculture, uh, everything is is reused somewhere. Uh, there's no waste. There's um, uh, and it, it, everything basically goes around in circles um, and becomes therefore sustainable. And, and if if well done and, and what is also needed in our world today is, is also regenerative land that's already been degraded by bad um, bad agricultural practices can then can be brought back to life by using permaculture methods i've got my my own my own little definition which is permaculture is a design system used predominantly but not exclusively in land design that takes its cues from observation of natural ecosystems and based on the three ethics of care for people care for the earth and fair share the ethic this is three ethics which which are important is it's, it's uh care for people this almost is, is one of the problems actually because that 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 people are seen as separate from nature well, it's, we really should be part of nature, so it should really be careful for the earth. It should encompass everything, really. Um, but um, so the, this, this is this is uh, the, the, the basics of it. It works on usually by twelve principles. Um, according to Holmgren, he's got twelve principles. There's other people who've got other principles, but twelve natural principles such as um, observe and interact. Uh, 
Um, I haven't got them all on top of my head. They're actually written up in my kitchen, but uh, <laughs> so. Um, but but basically, you observe what how things work in nature, and then you try to copy that as much as possible whilst having a productive system. So it's almost like kind of semi-controlled wild type of farming. <laughs> it's like it, organic farming taken yes, a few steps. It's actually uh, there's 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 also a very nice uh, quote somewhere. Uh, this one here, this one, I like this one. I'm not sure who who said it first. I, I know, um, uh, yeah, permaculture is a revolution disguised as organic gardening. The thing uh-huh. is, it's a lot more than about gardening and farming. It's about how you organize your life. I mean, there's, there's, you can do a permaculture design around how to organize your desk uh, or, or your kitchen or whatever you know I've, I've designed our kitchen on with permaculture principles in mind um, another thing that's uh, often talked about in, in 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 permaculture is is um zoning so you have um things that you need a lot or that need a lot of attention um close to your house like in a garden design like we have the you saw outside the the, the herb spiral and in the um keyhole bed with the salad crops in it that's just right outside my kitchen door these are the things where I don't want to be trudging down to the end of the garden to go and pick my herbs and and, and, and uh, my salad. I just want to nip out the kitchen back 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 kitchen door and pick up a few bits and throw them in in, in a bowl. Um, so a lot of these things are applicable to just about anything. Um, uh, my permaculture teacher Aranya, he um, did a uh, design about making music. You know, you can use it for for just about anything at all. So it's 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 a totally um, it's a system that is, it can apply to uh, how to organize a community, um, anything at all. So um, it's 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 much more than just organic farming. It's 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 it's, it's a step way beyond uh, organic farming. And you said there that um, it was two guys from Australia who. Um, kind of where the the founders and um, behind this now we're in Northern Ireland. So how did it get here? <laughs> well, basically, back in the seventies, it was Bill Mollison who uh, who was a who was working in forests in 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 Tasmania, and he just kind of observed and looked and and saw look the way we're doing things is it's not long term sustainable. Things can't work forever. I mean, I've been um, whilst I haven't been aware of permaculture ever since then but i mean like i've, I've been campaigning for en- environmental um causes ever since the 70s i mean like um, I've, I've when i was 14 i was running around with jute bags and selling them on, on the market um that said jute instead of plastic on there you know it's actually very frustrating this is 40 years ago and 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 uh, uh things are Still, now they're starting to talk about plastic. You know, I mean, literally, I've been talking for, about plastic for forty years. And, um, but yeah, anyway, so he saw these things, and he decided he he wrote this very thick book called Permaculture One, where he um, put all his um, ideas into um, of how uh, food should be grown, how the society should work, um, and um, desi- designed a a seventy two hour permaculture design course around it, and started teaching this course, um, and and spread from there. People have been teaching this course uh, around, and this, since, since then there've been uh, thousands um, of people who've t- taken this course all all across um, uh, the world. Um, it's um, 
as you say, started in Australia, then uh, UK has got the, the second biggest um, uh, permaculture association. Um, Ireland at the moment has not got one, although we're trying to work on one. Um, I'm kind of involved with that. Um, but permaculture courses are being taught in Ireland. Um, uh, as far as I know, none in Northern Ireland as yet, but there's in, down in Wicklow, um, uh, Caracdulra. They, they uh, have several courses every, every year. And County Limerick down in Clough Jordan, Eco Village, they they do uh, courses. So um, we're we're looking at eventually bringing them up to the north here as well. But um, so there's there's um, there's all these courses which are. Um, I mean, you can read up a lot on <clears throat> on the internet, watch videos and all this. But in the end of the day, um, it doesn't really replace this this particular course because it it, it has a particular curriculum and and you get together with other. <clears throat> like-minded people and uh, so there's lots of practical things in there you obviously with 72 hours it's usually a 10-day course it, it's it doesn't cover everything but you, you at least get a sort of um, an idea of what there is and you start becoming much more aware of what's what's happening out there so it's it's something i recommend for everybody it's an absolutely amazing thing you you're in northern ireland you, you found you found it the Portaferry Permaculture Project, or mm-hmm. Permaferry as you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that you lived in Italy for 10 years, but mm-hmm. uh, Heiko is not an Italian name. Mm-hmm. You're Dutch. I am. How did you get from home through Italy to here? Oh, there were a few other steps in between. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, uh, I've kind of got gypsy blood in my ancestry somewhere. Um, I grew up in Germany, actually, oddly enough. <laughs> But um, I've always had a um, kind of um, an anarchist streak on me there, and and uh, the Germans are very strict with their rules and with their with everything, and uh, that was something I was never going to be. Um, uh, as soon as I sort of hit adulthood and left home, um, I, I kept on inver- inadvertently um, breaking laws um, left, right, and center, and and um, so I. Uh, I I, I just I couldn't I couldn't stay there. I just was cutting. It's not my kind of country. It's just um, it's it's not working for me at all. Um, and uh, so one day I I was I was studying South Asian studies at the time. It was just uh, uh, one of the most useless things I've ever done. Oh um, yeah, we can we can talk about this for hours about who studied the the, the most useless thing. So um, um, I uh, packed my bags one day and uh, stuck my thumb in the wind and um, ended up in Northern Ireland initially on a on a farm on the north coast near Coleraine. Um, which was a peace project at the time. This was in the middle of the trouble still. But it was a <clears throat> also an organic farm, three and a half acres. We had uh, animals, we had uh, goats and a donkey and a pony and and a half acre organic garden on the north coast there. It was, uh, it was uh, we actually sort of um, heard the waves three miles away. We were sort of, had, we were sort of exposed northwesterly side sort of thing. Um, and spent a year on, on, on that um, volunteering. Yes, that's how I ended up in Northern Ireland. And then uh, was kind of looking for a job, find a a job in in very much inverted commas. Um, but um, in Belfast, where I met Susan, my wife, she had a daughter at the time, and um, uh, things. Yeah, at the time it wasn't a great place to bring up a small child, um, <clears throat> especially in Belfast. So. Um, we decided to move to England for 15 years. I lived in England for 50 years. The only time I was doing a proper job in my life. Um, I was, well, when I say proper, I was uh, 
professional full-time alcoholic, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was in the wine trade, in other words. Um, okay. <laughs> and so I was do doing that. But I mean, like uh, 15 years of that, uh, working all the hours under the sun, trying to survive in London, I wasn't working terribly well. And um, um, in the end, um, once Susan's daughter uh, left for university and um, did her own thing, we decided to pack our bags again, get ourselves a 25-year-old uh, Mercedes-Benz um, uh, camper van and um, drove to Italy. Um, and what we bought ourselves, uh, with profit we made from them selling the house in England, we bought ourselves part of an old castle um, and a plot of land and, um, and worked that. Um, five of the ten years that we spent in Italy, we lived without money. Uh, we had no 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 source of income, so um, we we survived on what we grew on our land and what we foraged. Um, so I became quite good at the foraging, and I wrote a book about it, which never made me any money either. But it was uh, quite fun doing it. <laughs> it's a really good book, actually. We we we'll get to the book in a minute. I do want to talk about it mm. because it's a really really good book for anybody who wants to start foraging. Why did you leave Italy? Uh, health issues. Uh, Susan's health issues was one. Um, uh, she's she's got um, mental health problems, um, learning disability is effect is effectively. Uh, so she never picked up Italian while we lived there, um, and um, and she couldn't. There was no there's no social security in Italy. Um, and um, we weren't getting any younger, and the life we were leading was extremely high maintenance. We <clears throat> walked an average of twenty kilometers a day, uh, plus working on the land, and like the land was um, ten kilometers away from our house, hence the ten, twenty kilometer walk. Um, uh, we, because we didn't have money to drive, um, so we walked it or cycled it in mountainous terrain. Our land was steep. Um, it it uh, in permaculture terms, it wasn't uh, the ideal thing because it was too far away. It was just too work intensive, basically the whole thing. Um, and we weren't getting any younger, so we decided this. We, we had to we had to look at alternatives. We were originally looking at um, intentional communities, um, various places, but in the end, decided to come back to Northern Ireland, where she can get a. Uh, we, we can basically get benefit. Um, um, she gets um, disability, and I get carers allowance, and uh, so we and we had a uh, we had a bit of an inheritance, so we could buy this place. So we're now. Uh, much more secure than <clears throat> than we were before. So that was that was the story, basically, in a nutshell. <laughs> wow, that's that's a hell of a hell of a journey. Um, how did you get engaged with the permaculture? Was it while you were in well, Italy? while we were in Italy, basically, because because we had this piece of land we had was very steep. Uh, it was extremely work intensive, um, and um, I was obviously um, cultivating it organically, but. Um, um, there was there was this little link that was kind of missing, and I was I was writing a blog at the time, um, and some some people that were following me up there was quite had quite a following at the time, and um, some people then suggested, hey, we should maybe try um, permaculture, and I thought, well, I don't really know anything much about it, sort of thing, you know, and um, um, and then as it happened, there was um, the Permaculture Institute of Italy um, were offering um, their first ever permaculture course P uh, pdc um not far from us um for a very very good price and in english as it happened as well so um i signed up 
<clears throat> I got my my book publishers who very uh, gave me an advance on the book so I could pay for that because we were obviously on on on, um, on virtually no money. So I, and I took that course and and I was like a like an eye opener. So um, I was then involved with the permaculture movement in Italy, and then when I came here, I sort of thought, okay, let's go and see who's around here. And it t turned out there was quite there's quite a movement in Ireland, although it's a very loosely organized thing um, being being Irish you know they, um, it's, it's all very very there's no central organization around although there's an annual gathering that's been going on for seven years this year there's not going to be an annual uh, 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 all Ireland gathering officially although there's going to be a northern gathering <laughs> um, the, the idea was that we split into the four provinces, the historical provinces. So this is going to be the Ulster um, uh, gathering. We didn't want to use the word Ulster for various reasons, as you can maybe imagine. <laughs> so we call it the Northern Gathering. But since the other three provinces haven't got around doing anything, uh, we're, we're expecting them all to turn up at our Northern Gathering, gathering in August. <laughs> so we're in the process of turn, uh, of of organising that now, uh, planting a community garden. Um, it's going to be at Loch Ney, the, at the um, Bushcraft Centre on Oxford Island. Um, we started with the with the with the uh, garden already. If anybody wants to get involved, wants to learn more about um, permaculture, they are welcome to come and join us and see what, how we do that and what we do. We've got a design already set up there, and, and uh, it's it's um, well, it's still very early days. But I mean, like, um, we're we're hoping to be planting in a couple of months' time, and um, have have it'll, it'll be open to the public as well. So it'll be a bit of a a, um, a demonstration garden. You know, with signs up, so people that walk along there can sort of see what's 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 what it is all about, basically. Okay, this is becoming a real habit, but I'm cutting this episode in two again. So, if you'd like to hear more about Heiko's uh, book on foraging, you'll just have to tune in next time for the second part of this episode. If you are interested in permaculture and would like to attend the gathering which will be happening in Northern Ireland in August this year. You can contact the Permaculture Project for more details via the Gathering Facebook page at Northern Permaculture Gathering. If you're interested in the community garden that Heiko mentioned, and we will be talking about it in more details in the next episode, so make sure you tune in. But in the meantime, the garden is in the process of being created at the Bushcraft Centre on the Oxford Island. And to get involved, you can contact Heiko via the Portaferry Permaculture Project Facebook page at Permaferry or um, via the gathering page I mentioned earlier. Heiko also mentioned the 12 principles of permaculture. He does have them in his kitchen indeed, and I confess that by the end of the interview, we, both of us, completely forgot about those. So um, I had to ask Heiko if he could send them to me, and he kindly sent me all the information. So... The 12 permaculture principles are number one, observe and interact. This simply means that we should rely on understanding of our garden and the conditions we have available. And under this principle, we should ideally observe the land for a year to cover all seasons and learn the patterns of all the weather conditions and observe the environment. Number two, catch and store energy. This basically means 
catching and storing energy when there is plenty of it, to use it when there is a shortage, or simply recycle resources. Heiko's compost toilet is a fantastic example of it, although I do admit it's not that common one. But many gardeners would maybe catch the rainwater um, to use for watering plants or um, have a greenhouse in order to keep the plants warm, uh, which is a really great way to grow stuff, especially in Northern Ireland. Number three, obtain a yield. Now this extends beyond growing crops a yield can be exchange of skills, for example, in community gardens where people share their knowledge. Number four, apply self-regulation and respond to feedback. This one means that we should think generations back and generations ahead and show appreciation of the harvest of the previous generation and we should treat the soil in a way so that it can produce food for generations to come. Number five, use renewable sources. So, for example, planting trees um, is a way of doing it. Trees provide us with food year after year and when they are done uh, they can provide wood for building or for fuel they can block the wind um, or they can provide shade in the summer and of course like all the plants they provide oxygen during the day number six produce no waste it basically means that we need to find ways to reuse everything our garden produces and a great example is simply composting this should, however, extend to our life beyond gardening as much as possible. Number seven, design from pattern to details. I was a little bit confused with this one, but from what I read, this is basically the understanding and mimicking successful patterns found in nature. For example, the spiral shape of herb beds mimics the shape of our DNA structure or the shape of galaxies and um, it simply provides more surface space in a small area and it also looks well. Number eight, integrate rather than segregate. This refers to placing the plants together in the right combinations to help them grow in cooperation. Number nine, use small and slow solutions. This is about... Um, the garden design. So the objective is to design a garden that is composed of many small parts contributing to the overall function. And if you listened to the first half an hour of this podcast, you probably got a good understanding of it based on all the things we found in Heiko's garden. Next one is number 10. Use and value diversity. And again, Heiko's garden is the perfect example of it. Number 11 use the edges. This basically means that we should use all the space and it goes back to number seven, using patterns and details from the nature to make sure you use all the surface area you can possibly use. And number 12, creatively use and respond to change. This is about the changes in nature. They happen all the time and your garden is no exception. So adapting to the changes and forces of nature that are beyond our control is a vital skill and you can only learn it over time and with experience. So that's 
all the 12 principles. As Heiko mentioned, some people have um, other principles added to those, but um, these are the 12 basic ones. And if you want a printout of this or more detailed reference to each of them, you can find it on Timberpress website www.timberpress.com and the article is from 2013 with the title The 12 Principles of Permaculture um, and this is the link that Heiko sent to me for the information so thanks Heiko for that. Um, Heiko did share a recipe with me but we will leave it for the next episode so um, I'm going to give you one of my own again and I tried to find something very simple with the permaculture and foraging principles in mind. So I'll give you a um, very simple kale and carrot juice. It's very quick, very simple and very nutritious and also seasonal. Um, I hope that Heiko will approve of this. If you don't have a juicer, don't worry, you can use a blender for it if you like, uh, but it is better with a juicer, I have to say. What you'll need is two generous handfuls of preferably black kale but curly kale will do the job as well one medium carrot um, two stalks of celery and half a large and unwaxed lemon now this is the only imported fruit we have in the house all the time seasonal or not and it's always in season somewhere else and it is one of the foods that I would use daily and as much as possible because it has so many health benefits. Clean the vegetables properly um, and cut into smaller pieces. Make sure they are all organic. This is important. Um, wash the lemon but don't peel it. If you manage to get an organic unwaxed lemon, do not peel it. The lemon peel has um, some really important antioxidants in it, so make use of it and um, cut the lemon in quarters. If you have a juicer, juice it all and drink it straight away. No leaving it in the fridge for a few hours, not leaving it on the counter for the next half an hour so you can take a shower. Um, that is a big no-no. With every minute the juice is standing there doing nothing, waiting for you to drink it, you are losing valuable nutrition. So juice it and down it. Remember what Paula from Skinny Malinky was saying in episode 18? Well, if you don't or if you didn't listen to it, I suggest strongly that you tune in. Lecture over. Heiko and I will be back next time to enlighten you on the topic of foraging, so make sure you tune in. Remember, you can find all our shared recipes on Instagram or download them in a PDF format from our Facebook group page, The Sweet Spot on a Farm. If you liked this podcast, please do remember to leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud and um, tune in next time. And if you have any suggestions for interesting guests that you'd like to hear on the podcast, please do let me know either via social media or you can email me at thesweetspud at gmail.com. Have a fantastic week. Go and juice some seasonal vegetables and remember to compost the scraps and stay healthy. Until next time. Bye. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot, music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.